It's a new name, but we're still old school. My name is Brian Swain, and this is Back in the Day. So you're probably wondering, did I click on the wrong link? Am I logged into someone else's playlist? Well, you're in the right place. This is what used to be known as the 90s basketball show, and I'm excited to welcome you to the first edition of Back in the Day. So I've had a lot of fun doing the 90s show over the last several months and had a great response and appreciate everyone who's been tuning in and listening. And we want to evolve and take it to the next level. So with the new name, we're going to focus on the past beyond just the 90s. We're going to talk some 2000s, might toss in a little bit of 80s in there. We'll get into music and other stuff too. Pretty much anything goes so long as it's from back in the day. So we've got a really great guest to get started. Brad Burns is a Seattle Sonics historian who himself hosts a podcast. It's called Sonics Forever, and it looks back on the team's days in Seattle. We're going to talk a lot about the Sean Kemp, Gary Payton era Seattle Sonics, why they left Seattle, and will they ever come back. Ball rebounded, tapped away, McMillan to McKee. Up to Gary Payton. Lead pass to Kemp. He'll play it down. What a lob! Whoa! Gary Payton with a lob ahead to Kemp. He went airborne, defied gravity. Lead it down with two hands, baby. What a play! The rain man has struck. Brad, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Brian, it's a pleasure. I am doing great. The sun is out here in Seattle. And by the sounds of it, we, we could be getting an expansion team here at, at some point sooner rather than later. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. And we're going to do a little bit of reminiscing about the Sonics as well. Now, you're a Sonics historian. Tell me a little bit about your connection to the team, Brad. So I was born a Sonics fan, more or less. When my parents got married, my dad insisted. They got married in, in 79, March of 79. My dad insisted that there would be a TV in the limousine so he could watch the Sonics game. This is in March. So they hadn't, hadn't made the finals yet. That's how big of a fan he is. Uh, so he had, had season tickets, I think from the time he was 18 until probably 28 or so. And grew up hearing stories from, from both my mom and dad celebrating the, the 79 championship team and, and, and beyond. So my my connection to to the Sonics runs very very deep, and even though they've been gone, going on thirteen years, that love will never die. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been thirteen years now. And and you and all, I'll tell everybody who's listening right now to check out the Sonics Forever podcast. It's at SonicsForever.com. It is fantastic stuff. I think if you're just a basketball fan in general, and certainly if you're a fan of the Sonics or remember those great days. You'll love it. And tell me a little bit about that podcast, how you got involved. And I understand, too, it's kind of part of a larger project you guys have going on there. It is part of a larger project. So Sonics Forever came out of the Truth and Basketball podcast with George Carl. So I helped create that podcast about a year ago. We launched that. And, and early on, it was clear that the connection to the Sonics specifically was was very strong going beyond just myself as, as, a, as a huge Sonics enthusiast and came up with the idea that, you know, why don't, why don't we do an offshoot podcast where we focus solely on these Sonics who over the last 13 years, there's no way for Seattle fans to, to reconnect with, with these great names and, and faces from, from Sonics history. And that's what we've done. We're 
12 episodes in and have talked to everybody from, from Spencer Haywood to Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, Kenny Main from ESPN, even had Sir Mix-a-Lot on for an episode. So it's it's really been a, a treat, and we're, we're loving having the opportunity to, to do it and bring it to Sonics fans. Sir Mix-a-Lot, that's very cool. You, you guys had a lot of famous musical fans there. I remember watching Soundgarden on Saturday Night Live once during the playoffs, and they had a Sonics jersey draped over their drum set. It's no joke, and especially the the 1990s Sonics teams. Something about the, those teams and, the, and their character really resonated with the grunge scene in Seattle. So not not just Soundgarden, but I know the guys from Pearl Jam were were really into the Sonics, and had some ties to to Nirvana as well. Um, we actually had Duff McKagan from from Guns N' Roses. He did an episode with us. Uh, we had Sam Perkins on, and, and Duff joined because he was a huge Sonics fan. And had had season tickets during the the ninety five ninety six season when the Sonics made the finals. So it uh, you know it if it's in your blood it, it it goes forever. And and once we get a team back, the the league needs to watch out. It's going to be be a heck of a time. That really says a lot there. Of course, Pearl Jam was originally known as Mookie Blaylock. Oh so yeah. Obviously, it just speaks so much to the love of basketball in that city. So as you say, it's thirteen years now since they've been gone. What is the attitude like there in the city towards the NBA? I mean, was there was there a bitterness at first? There was a definite bitterness. I'm not sure I would say it was directed solely towards the NBA. I know people that were like that that once once the Sonics left, they they swore off the NBA entirely. Me personally, I knew it was a, a huge loss the the moment that the moving vans left town. I've remained a huge NBA fan since uh, since the Sonics have left and, and have openly advocated getting a team back since. More than anything, the the anger, outrage, and sadness is is directed towards Howard Schultz, who who owned the team, sold the team to to the current owners um, in Oklahoma City. So I guess you know between Schultz and and David Stern that. Is, is generally who, who shoulders most of the, the blame for the Sonics leaving. Yeah, and for people who might not be as familiar with the history of what went down there, maybe just explain why, not only why they left, but why was a team allowed to leave a market like that? <sighs> How much time do we have, Brian? So, so real quick, at a high level, Howard Schultz bought the Sonics in 2001. He... Knew the lease that that he was getting into with with the team, and understood the agreement with the city. Early on, determined he wouldn't be able to to turn the profit that he wanted, and started to lobby for either a, a renovated key arena or a new arena entirely. So this is call it mid two thousand five ish. So he hadn't owned the team that long. This is coming off the heels of a, a new football stadium for the Seahawks, a new baseball stadium for the Mariners, and Key Arena had been remodeled in 1995. So it was, it had only been 10 years since since the arena had been remodeled, and he's crying to government officials about how he needs needs this upgrade for the, for the team to be viable. Everybody more or less just laughed at his face. David Stern came to town. The government just wasn't hearing it and Stern 
took offense to to how he was treated. Schultz, I've I have on good authority that he he did not want to sell to anybody locally. The the line that I heard, if if he had sold the team to somebody locally, it would have been akin to to watching another man sleep with your wife. So he kind of secretly sold the team to these buyers from Oklahoma City when that sale was announced in 2006 everybody saw the writing on the wall these owners from oklahoma city wanted a team in oklahoma they didn't want to keep a team in seattle even though they they had come out and said they would exhaust all efforts to keep a team here they really didn't and in i think it was july 1st july 5th early uh early july of 2008 the uh the city of seattle and the new owners of what is now the Oklahoma city thunder came, came to an agreement to allow them to, to vacate their lease and move to Oklahoma city. And here we are 13 years later. Obviously there's been a part of the city missing, but when does it kind of turn the corner to people wanting to bring it back in? Like what has it, has it been that way right from the jump or have people kind of had to come to a point where they've gotten over it and now we want it back? Well, for me, it was, the, the day they left, there was, if you remember in 2013, uh, an agreement for, there was a guy named Chris Hansen and Steve Ballmer who went on to, to buy the Clippers. They were going to buy the Kings and the Kings were going to move to Seattle. David Stern still hurt over how he was treated uh, in, from trying to get, get a new arena built uh, in the mid-2000s in Seattle. He killed that deal. Went went out of his way to to kill that deal, find a local owner in Sacramento. I'd say since 2013, that that really started this groundswell locally of you know we we got to get a team back. Let's let's actually do it. There was definitely a a hangover and a depression the first couple years after the Sonics left in 2008. So tell me, what are some of the efforts that are going on there or ongoing now in Seattle to get a team back there? Well, the big thing is the Sonics or the the team that uh, will almost assuredly be known as the Sonics. They have a, a new arena to play in. It's called Climate Pledge Arena. It is uh, what what used to be Key Arena, has since gone through a, a major major renovation. That is is hands down the the biggest game changer as far as getting a, a team here as quickly as possible the second component to this is, is that the league just announced that they're toying with the idea of expanding to 32 teams and if they do that we know seattle's at the top of the list there's plenty of money here the the number for the uh the expansion franchise at least the price tag we're hearing is, is two and a half billion dollars which is not chump change by any means, but uh, fortunately there, there are enough deep pocketed individuals in this area where, where that shouldn't be a problem. What do you think the fan reception would be like? Do you expect to sell out every night? Easily. It, it will be massive. Uh, once that's announced the, the Seattle crack and the NHL team that that's going to start here next year, I think they've got a 10 or 15 year waiting list already for their season tickets. So, and that's hockey. That's a, a, a sport that is pretty foreign to, to people in Seattle to, to have the Sonics back and have the NBA back would be 
a, a huge event. They 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 will sell out at least the the first five years, probably beyond. Yeah, it is pretty remarkable about the numbers that the Kraken are doing there. You mentioned, and I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to get to that. What impact has the the NHL granting the expansion franchise to Seattle and now, of course, as you mentioned, they'll be coming in next year. How has that played a role in potentially helping bring the Sonics back? Well, having the arena has been really the the biggest hurdle. Chris Hansen, the guy that that I brought up before, who had, who had agreed to to purchase the Kings with Steve Ballmer. His plan was to have uh, an arena built just south of, of the baseball stadium. He thought that would be be the best location. And there were almost divided factions on, on where they would put a new new arena for a basketball team. Having a, a, a turnkey option in Climate Pledge Arena on account of, of the Kraken, that, that's really what, what changed changed the conversation and, and has made an expansion franchise in Seattle. Um, I don't want to say it's a certainty because I don't want to jinx it, but uh, in all likelihood, a very, very strong possibility. As you mentioned there, the NBA is potentially looking at expanding to 32 teams here in the future. There's a lot of hope here in Western Canada that Vancouver could be a market. I mean, we could get into that as well. A lot of people, very similar to how this, the feeling is in Seattle, just think that, that it was not a fair, things were not done fairly and what led to that franchise leaving town. I had someone on the show recently, uh, Tom Mayanek, who's one of our foremost experts here in Canada on sport business. And he, he thinks there's certainly a great chance of Vancouver coming back, but the first hurdle for that to happen would have to be a team coming back to Seattle. What, what is your perspective on that? What, what do you think the odds would be that if Seattle got a team, Vancouver would get another, especially because we're talking two Western Conference teams? I'm not sure what, what the odds would be per se, but I've got to tell you, Vancouver did not get a, a fair shake to, to only have that team in Vancouver for for six years and to pull the plug seems like it uh it was pretty short-sighted you and I both know that that Vancouver will be a a great basketball market if given the chance so and it sounds like um for the league to to go from 30 to 32 and if Vancouver's not not part of that 32 I think it would be hard to see the league going beyond 32 teams but there could be a relocation, especially with, with all the fallout from COVID. I, I think there's going to be a good number of NBA owners looking to sell their teams. So the possibility of, of having a team relocate to Vancouver, I, I would think, is is very real. You know, there was a lot of people when the Grizzlies first came into the league that had visions of this great Pacific Northwest rivalry. Never really got going because the Grizzlies never really fielded much of a team that could provide you any competition. <laughs> you probably felt more sorry for them than, than ever developing any sort of any sort of fan hatred between the two markets. But uh, maybe one day down the line. Yeah, no, not 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 quite a, a rivalry a rivalry when the Sonics are, are winning sixty plus games a year and the the Grizzlies are losing sixty plus a year. Yeah, yeah. Now, I actually, I, I got to admit here, Brad, I grew up a, uh, and we're right around the same age, I grew up a Jazz and Suns fan. Hmm. So I was not a Sonics fan back in the day at all. Now, I've come to appreciate them a lot, and I want to see them back in the league, but I was not a Sonics fan back in the day. Uh, but I'd love to get your take on some of your favorite memories of watching that team growing up. 
um, and particularly around the the era of Sean Kemp and, and Gary Payton, of course, but also some other great players on the team. I mean, Detlef Schrempf too. Oh, Detlef is absolutely an all-world player. Uh, Detlef is is on our, our first season. If if any of your listeners want to want to check that out, I think Detlef belongs in the Hall of Fame along with Sean Kemp and and George Carl, um, guys that that have kind of been overlooked because there there isn't a franchise in Seattle, you know, the, the memories are, are so rich and so deep from, from that era. And I, I really consider myself fortunate to, to have kind of come of age as a sports fan during that great Sonics run, call it 92 through 98, when they were one of, if not the, the best team in the league every year, the excitement in the, the, the building, uh, you know, starting starting out at, at Seattle Center Coliseum and, and then what became Key Arena, nothing like it. I, I've been to a handful of other arenas throughout the league, and it was an energy that everybody in, in the building could feel, the players could feel it. You know, if if you want to talk about uh, different, different players from that era, you know, the, the guys that are – I wouldn't say they're they're off the grid as much, but you know, Sean, Gary, and, and Det get the most love. Somebody like like Sam Perkins, who was just phenomenal, phenomenally talented player, um, probably twenty five years before his time. Or a guy like Hersey Hawkins, just a steady presence on that ninety five ninety six team, who who came in and and Hersey, I'd say Hersey, and and then the addition of, of Frank Bukowski. Because the the two previous years the Sonics had gotten bounced in the first round of the playoffs, so ninety five ninety six moving into to the renovated Key Arena, nobody was really sure what to think, and and they brought in some veterans and they were able to to finally fulfill their promise. That team has such a fascinating trajectory because they were coming up there in the early nineties. You know, they kind of arrived. I think they made the playoffs for the first time in ninety one, won a playoff round in ninety two. And then 93, they pushed the Suns right to game seven. So they're knocking right on the door of the NBA Finals in <laughs> 93. And then, you know, spectacular flamos that really be blunt about it in the first round in 94, 95. But they didn't blow that team up, which I find is pretty incredible. I, I think in a lot of other markets, and I think especially today, you would not maybe see that team brought back together for another run at it like they had in 96. But they did. And, and tell me what it was. What led to the team having those, you know, those famous struggles when they got bounced uh, by the Lakers in 95 and, of course, the Nuggets in 94, and then were somehow able to turn the corner and reach that level that everyone had, had thought they were, could get to maybe three years earlier? For those two first-round flameouts, it was chemistry. I don't think there, there's any other way to, to look at it. Those teams just didn't mesh well together. And when things got tough, especially in 94, I mean, that to me, that was their year. They were the best team in the NBA that year. Jordan was playing baseball. The path was clear for them. Like you said, they, they, they made it to game seven against Phoenix in 93. So after the 93 season, the Sonics brought in Kendall Gill and Detlef Schramm. So on paper, got better. But they, what they lost, they lost Eddie Johnson, who was a, a phenomenal scorer off the bench, and, and Dana Barrows, who went on to, to make an all-star team in Philadelphia. They were part of the Kendall Gill trade, and, and Derek McKee went to Indiana for Detlef Schrempf. 
McKee didn't have the offensive skills that Detlef did, but but defensively was a, a hell of a defender. So they they lost those guys, and when, when things got a little bumpy, i.e. the the first round of of that Denver series, they flamed out spectacularly. I've I've gone back and and watched uh, games from that series way too many times. Every single time, especially game five, I'm like this, this has got to have a different ending. It, it still terrorizes me to this day. I've, I've spent a lot of time talking to George Carl about it. it. It haunts him. I think every single person that was on that, that Sonics team has nightmares because they, they know that was an opportunity that, that they let slip by in 95. It, it was almost deja vu that that Lakers team in 95 was absolutely better than, than the 94 nuggets, but it was that 95 season was weird for the Sonics because they weren't playing, they were playing in Tacoma. So they were playing with, with traffic almost an hour away from Seattle because they were renovating the arena for the Sonics. So it was, it was just kind of a, a bizarre season. I'm shocked that, that George Carl was able to keep his job. Um, something else I've told, like, I, I don't know how he didn't get fired. Uh, and you also talked about them, them blowing up the team. I'm not sure if, if you know this or remember this, but the Sonics had, a trade in place with the bulls after it was leading up to the 94 draft that w- was going to send Sean Kemp and Ricky Pierce to Chicago for Scottie Pippen. And it was a done deal. It leaked to the Seattle media and people went crazy. They started calling up the sports radio stations. One of them happened to be owned by Barry Ackerley, who was the Sonics owner and he nixed the deal. Can you imagine if that happened, how different the NBA looks? I mean, you know, because, of course, we all know what goes on in Chicago in the years that follow. I can't even I, I don't know what the NBA looks like. I don't know who wins those championships. I, it's, it takes us down an entirely different path. You know, it really is one of the great sliding door scenarios in NBA history. Adding Scotty to that Sonics team from a, a defensive perspective is just absolutely daunting. I don't know who would have been able to to score against that team defensively with with Gary and and Scotty. Um, the I guess the question mark is is how well Sean Kemp and, and Michael Jordan would have been as teammates. Um, I mean, Sean, if if you go back and look at at him in the '96 Finals, and people say I'm crazy for saying this, but go back and watch the video. He was better than Michael Jordan in the '96 Finals. That's that's how good Sean Kemp was. Sean gets a a bad rap because of what happened after he left Seattle. Um, you know the the issues that he had with his weight. He had some substance problems, and people love to to make jokes about about the number of of kids that he had. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, Sean Kemp, I think, was was as close to being one of the elite elite players, not not just of that era, but in NBA history for power forwards um, as close as you could come and, and just couldn't quite put it together. This Seattle team, that 1996 Seattle team probably was introduced to a lot of people through the last dance documentary. Of course, they're one of the, one of the, uh, the six or five different teams, but six, six seasons that were unfortunate victims of the bulls. And I can say that because I was cheering against the bulls those years. But what was the reaction like, the response like to how the Sonics were portrayed in The Last Dance? We felt like we got a little bit of a raw deal. They played a clip from 
the final series where where they said it was one of the the great mismatches in, in NBA Finals history. That Sonic's team won 64 games. It's not like they were a joke at all. Um, they were easily the, the best team in the West that season. And even though they went down 3-0, they won their last two games at home, things break differently, just slightly. Uh, th- I think there's a scenario where the Sonics, it's not, you know, you play that that Bulls team ten times, you'll probably lose eight of those games. But there's a scenario where where the Sonics can win that series. Absolutely, um, I would I would encourage people if, if they've got a, a spare couple hours, go back and watch Game Five of the '96 Finals because you you see the lack of depth on the Bulls team, the amount of depth on the Sonics, just how good Sean Camp is, and I'd say for the first quarter and a half Michael Jordan is out of his mind the Bulls ended up losing that game but the way I see it he's looking at the the next two games and how the Bulls are playing and he's starting to to panic that that they could lose a series you see it on his face you see it in his reactions to calls too it's pretty interesting yeah it is that Bulls team uh, there well I don't know if we'll ever get the real full accurate objective look at uh, at how they were but you know the one thing about the last dance is i thought it brought a spotlight to maybe some players because so many great players from that era did not get the the championship ring that they truly deserved. there's a lot of uncrowned champions from the 90s in basketball were, because uh, of the Bulls. yes yes there, there were a lot of uncrowned champions I, I think the sonics probably belong in that category the the other thing and i, I brought this up to, to gary payton when we talked MJ was throwing some shade, so there's some heavy shade at, at Gary during the last dance. Gary said it, it it didn't bother him, but Michael said he didn't have a problem with Gary. Again, go back, look at the tape, look at the numbers. Michael had a big problem with Gary and, and had that, that series lasted a little longer or had George put Gary on, on Michael earlier in the series, we might be talking a different story here. Were you at any of those finals games in 96? I did not make one of those finals games, sadly. I wish I had uh, had an excuse or a reason other than that I was too young to to have the, the funds to make it happen on my own. And Although that's, probably... a, that's a pretty good reason. I would have been in the same boat too. Yeah, so, I, I don't think I, I made a compelling enough argument to my parents. I, I, I really don't know. I, I look back and God, to, you know, to have that in our, in our backyard uh, and to not be there is, was pretty crushing. Well, a compelling argument could have been that we know we might not see this for another thirty years, but at the course of that point in time, you're thinking <laughs> we'll be back next year, right? So, yeah, had I had I, if if I could have uh, gone on a time machine to fast forward twelve years and said, you know, this this team won't even be here twelve years, so yeah, we, we should make this happen. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I was not able to go to to any of the finals games in in '96, but um, my dad was able to to develop a, a relationship with with Frank Burkowski and, and they remained friends from the 96 season on. Um, I, I have a signed basketball from the 96 team, which uh, is one of my most prized memorabilia possessions. So Ooh, wow. I'll, I'll take that as the consolation prize. That That's not bad at all. That, that is a pretty cool thing to have. What is your favorite memory of the Sonics? Oh, there are, are so many great Sonics memories. I would say my top Sonics memory 
would probably have to be the first game I ever went to. I was six years old. My dad took me um, just being that was my first professional sports game. Uh, you know, the, the smell of popcorn, what the players look like on the court. He wanted me to to keep eyes out on, on Michael Cage and, and where he positioned himself, where he stood. That that, that resonates deeply with me. I, I've seen countless great Sonics games in person, uh, 96 finals, notwithstanding. Um, actually, I, I was sitting courtside for Jordan's last game in Seattle as a bull. That was, was pretty amazing. The Sonics won that game. I think Vin Baker hit a, hit a jumper to put him ahead by one with maybe 15 seconds left. A great early season game. Um, I got, I got to sneak out of my, my high school basketball practice early to, to go to the game and, and my teammates that I'm still buddies with continue to, to give me a hard time for that. He said, we're so jealous of you. You got to do that. So that was, that was pretty cool. That's, that's something that, that I'll never forget. Do you have an all time favorite Sonic? All time favorite Sonic player. Yeah. I've always been partial to, to Sean. Um, you know, it's for me, the, the talent and the dunks, and the persona was just really connected with him. Um, you know, I could do my top 25 favorite song. I, like Ricky Pierce is, is one of the Sonics that, that I personally love. Um, just loved his game. Gary, Ray Allen, even the guys before my time, uh, Dennis Johnson, I guess Williams, Fred Brown, you go back and and look at at the names that that have donned the the green and gold. You're you're not short for Hall of Famers, fringe Hall of Famers, All NBA guys. It's it's really a rich history and and unfortunate that uh, that we've had at least a a 13 year pause to this point. Once once we get a team back, it'll be so great to to fully reconnect with with these Sonics legends and and this great. NBA history that resides in Seattle. Well, hopefully it won't be very long. And then here's hoping that the next domino that falls after that will be Vancouver, but I'll put you on the spot a little bit here. What's your prediction? How many years before we see an NBA team in Seattle? If we're going the expansion route, I would peg it at somewhere between three to five years. We'll, we'll have an expansion team here. You, you can hold me to it. I, th I think the the only way that doesn't happen is if the the NBA decides not to expand. But just given the the economic state of the game and and the owners' seeming uh, desire to to get the the quick money from from the expansion fees, odds are in our favor. Fortunately, for once. Now, for people, Sonics fans that uh, old school Sonics fans, maybe new fans who are getting into it, if you're coming to Seattle now, is there a couple places you recommend that every Sonics fan has to visit that can help rekindle memories? I don't know what kind of um, if there's anywhere there that's kind of got like memorabilia displays or things that pay tribute to the franchise. That that is a great question. There is the the Mohai Museum. I believe that's where the the championship trophy lives. Our main sponsor on the Sonics Forever podcast, Simply Seattle, they have, have done a phenomenal job at, at curating 
uh, Sonics history and, and their their main location on, on First Avenue has some great Sonics gear along with their website at, at simplyseattle.com. Um, I know that uh, that they're in talks to, to potentially put together uh, w- what would be uh, a, a Sonics Hall of Fame, so to speak. And uh, our hope is is we can help make that happen and, and be a part of that. So stay tuned on, on that front. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, the Simply Seattle store has just, it looks like a ton of Sonics merchandise. They have so much Sonics merch, and it's it's phenomenal stuff. I've, I'm pretty particular on on the gear that I wear, but I know you can't see me. I'm I'm wearing one of one of their Sonics hats right now. I, I'd say uh, more days than not, I'm outfitted in in some sort of Sonics paraphernalia, courtesy of of Simply Seattle. And uh, for people who want to check it out, of course, they can catch the podcast at SonicsForever.com. Yeah, SonicsForever.com. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that you get get your podcasts, you'll find us. Right on. Been a pleasure, Brad. Thank you very much. You're most welcome. Thanks, Brad. Take care.